What's up, dude? How's it going? What's going on, man? Question for you. Do you think that all this new AI stuff represents any sort of risk to the job that you do, that you and I do? Not just podcasting, but like running indie hackers as a community. Mm, no, I don't think so. I, I'm very optimistic about like AI, the new wave of AI, and basically any technology as long as I maintain like a relationship with that technology where I'm like, how can I use this? Like, mm. I'm totally fine making myself redundant in any job. It's like, as long as I'm really proactive about it, I currently don't have a lot of concern, but maybe I'm just not, I'm too short-sighted. So you don't have any like thoughts that like, okay, there maybe there just won't be any of these jobs. Hey, what's up, KP? Yo, KP. Hi, hi. How are you guys? Good. How are you? Good, great. Man. How are you doing? Great. Great to see you. We are engaged in a spirited debate on uh, um, AI. Not not really a debate. GPT-4 or? Uh, GPT-4, the whole. ETC. What are your thoughts, KP? Like, are you, do you feel at all threatened by the advent of AI? Not really threatened, but I feel like um, I have to be sharp on my toes in the sense that I have to readapt and relearn and be yeah. open to learning my the man. new way. But this is exactly what I was saying. It's like, yeah. as long as you are like adapting, like you're like. Yeah. If you don't adapt, you're going to be royally screwed now. Like if, <laughs> yeah. if you weren't screwed 10 years ago, this is the chance. I mean, this is the opportunity for like all of us will feel like the truck drivers we joke, we joke about who, you know, who are worried about the, you know, semi trucks like being yeah, automated, right? Like exactly, the, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's but, like, it's, I think the first time in my adulthood, like the first time in my career I've ever felt like, oh, should I have to adapt? I kind of felt like that when mobile came out. Yeah. And then I just didn't. I was like, I'll just keep making web apps. And it was actually like the golden age of web apps for like a decade. So it was like totally fine. This is the first time I'm like, if I don't learn AI stuff, like a year or two from now, everything I've built might be obsolete and I yeah. might not have the ability to catch up. Yeah. Corlin, you know that um that Paul Graham article where he says, keep your identity small. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, it's like a really famous Paul Graham article. And I think it mostly has to do almost like with the uh, the emotional downsides of strongly identifying as like this kind of person or that kind of person. Oh, I'm a XYZ religion follower. I'm this, right? If you tie yourself to a certain identity, then when anyone attacks you or criticizes you, you're going to like cling to that and not really think logically. But that's purely the emotional side. I think there's also like a like career longevity, sustainability side, where if you don't feel as attached to like, what are you, Cortland? You are a programmer. Like I, Cortland, I'm yeah. a programmer. I've been programming since I was 12 years old. Someone else might be like, I'm a writer. Like I have great judgment, great, great creativity. If you have those kinds of uh, identity attachments, I think you're going to be a lot less like open to like reevaluating ways that you can provide value to people. It's like if it's 1890 and you're like, I'm a horseshoe maker. Right. I, make, I make horseshoes. <laughs> See, I actually have a question for you guys. You know, do, do you ever yeah. wonder what am I going to be doing 25 years from now? Oh, yeah. All the time. The, the reason I even bring this up is, and this is a good context for some of the background of our sort of pod, Kirtland, uh, like when I, when, when I saw both of you, I so was desperate and longing, wanting to be a founder. Founder, 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 right? I know that there's millions out there 
who might be listening to your stuff and there, I mean, my stuff too. There is, aspiring founder is such a great place to be because there's everything feels like, you know, a hike away. Like if you just take the hike to the top, right? You're talking and, about when we met three years ago. And, yeah, uh, three years ago. Yeah. In December 2022, I became a founder. Finally, the identity Boom. thing that Channing's referring to. Founder CEO felt Boom. great for 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, okay. What next? Where's the customers? Where's the revenue? Where's the ARR, MRR? And I'm like, the biggest shift is like with, with some of the stuff, especially I started out as consulting, which is like services. I'm like, get a decent scale. There's labor hours. I'm like, all these things started like, and then I'm like, it's not as fun. Yeah, this is not as fun mm. as I thought it was fun. Mm. And three You're and a half months into this. Being a founder is kind of like doing cocaine. You get a 90 minute high. Yeah, exactly. You get like a really cool high for a while. Shit. And this is funny because I don't I don't have a logo, I don't have a business card. And I thought that when I became a founder, I would have all of these ducks in a row. Like I would go to stables, yeah. I would get a printout, I would get I had nothing, right? The moment I got the first stripe notification is when I really felt a sense of peace. I'm like, oh okay. All right, shit, this is legit now and we're we're in it. But oftentimes now three three and a half, four months into this, now I feel like I finally got a little grasp of this. But I'm still having to force myself into this mindset of you're never going to have a salary again, man. Like yeah. your job is to make friendship with risk. Your middle name has right. to be volatility and shit that you can't control. Like, you know, like being able to be resilient through the ups and downs. Right. So sometimes I kind of wonder, what would I be doing 25 years from now? Like, and because I'm never going to go back to W2, like once you're a founder, right. it's almost like, unless something royally screwed up and like I really, really, really need the job. I don't think I'll ever go back to W2. Mm -hmm. I wonder like, what would I be doing? And so that brings us to this point around as a founder, really your identity has to be small. Yeah. You're just forced to keep it small. If not, you're so attached to one idea, like, oh, one particular problem or whatever. And you're like, if that doesn't pan out, you feel like a big void. So the better version is just keep it small, like what Paul was saying, you know? But part of that, journey that you had where you were not a founder, you were a W2 employee and you saw people like Cortland or whatever, right? Yeah. You see the founders and you go, oh, pie in the sky. I want to become that thing. Yeah. That thing, like the journey to become that is this like big hit of novelty, right? Like you had to like make changes. You probably had to make sacrifices. And then like you became that and that was fun. And then you got there and you're like, okay, like what now? I almost call it like the final horizon myth. It's like this idea that when you get to that thing, it's just like the horizon is just going to be gone. But yeah. like as a founder, the really magical thing in my opinion is that like, all right, do you have no more products that you can build? Do you have no more like markets that you can tap into? Do you have no more parts of the business that you are like that, like represent weaknesses for you? A lot of people are good at coding, but they're not good at marketing. A lot of people are good at writing, but they're not good at talking to people, right? For me, that's the fun thing. I was talking to a friend the other day about this and he has a, he's a, it's our buddy Brandon Channing. He has a good quote mm. on this, which is just like, if you liked something, do it again. And then Charlie Munger has another quote. He says, the fundamental rule of life is to repeat what works. Yeah. If there's something that made you really excited, whether that was building stuff with no code, whether that was like making money for your startup, whether right. that was doing marketing, mm -hmm. uh, and then you like accomplish whatever goal you were trying to hit with that thing, like you shouldn't change your life and stop doing that thing. Just go back and do it again. And chances are you'll actually like it just as much as you did the first time around because the goal was never really the point. Yeah. And so it's it's become weird now where 
it was a big change shift in my mindset too, because for 12 years I was on W2 in America, but I always felt that I had the founder DNA. I, I mean, I know a lot of people think this, right? Mm. They're like, I know I want to be a founder. Like I knew it, I knew it. Now that I'm here, and when you were in WG, especially in corporate life, because, you know, both of you, if you guys remember, when I met you, <laughs> I was working at Delta Airlines. It's another thing that a lot of people, mm. uh, a big part of their brain's bandwidth goes into, how do I balance my full-time job and my passions? Yeah. Right. You know, for me, that was the biggest thing to solve at the time. It was like, how do you balance? As if there was... And you have a family too, right? I have a family too. And... And uh, now I look back, I'm like, that's the easiest shit. That's like little league shit right now. Like what I'm going through is a foot. Now it's like, I can't, like I look in the mirror and I can't escape. Like I'm the full responsibility for the company and there's no way to hide. I can't even blame, I can't even say, oh, I have a nine to five job. Like my full-time job is getting customers, building services, the fellowship and whatever. So I'm like, oh, there's no escape being a founder. So the horizon thing back to chatting, it feels like, now I'm like spending a lot of time not worrying about what's my next goal. That used to be my whole default for the last 10 years. Now I'm thinking about, um, it's almost an infinite game. What is the next three, four months thing that I want to chase and pursue, like with fun? Because it's an infinite game. Like I'm never gonna, we will never gonna have a day where I'm not worried about having a customer, right? Unless like you, I don't know, you hit like a billionaire outcome, like, you know, like Figma, right? But even they're worried, like the Adobe deals, Pulling, being pulled out or something, I think. So it's like, there's never certainty. Yeah. So my friends, who I still have friends with from Delta Airlines and when I was a Turner, they always think that when they have all the answers, they can be a founder. Because they think that certainty is like what leads them to being a founder. And right. what I've learned is that it's like just being a founder is just being friends with uncertainty. That's it. Uh, <laughs> so we should probably introduce you at this point. So people okay. know who, who, <laughs> who it is we're talking to. You are uh, KP at this is KP underscore on Twitter. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, we all met in Atlanta in 2019, back before we even know how to spell pandemic. We were very innocent. Oh my God, that was pre pandemic. Oh my God, that was pre pandemic. Right? Yeah, uh, a lifetime ago, it feels like. And you were running, I think, the Indie Hackers Atlanta meetup. And so you were very ambitious, you're very starry eyed. Uh, and I just read a tweet <laughs> on your profile. Uh, this morning where you said, you know, my life then versus now. So in 2018, you said you were stuck in a corporate job. You had no revenue, no exits. You published no podcast episodes. You'd started zero side projects and you only had a couple hundred followers on Twitter. And then today you've got over 42,000 followers on Twitter. You've built 16 projects with no code tools and you're kind of an authority on no code. You're a writer, you're a podcaster. You're also an authority on building in public. You've had two exits. You're a founder, she said, you're a CEO. And you've done hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue. So you've come a long way as a sort of indie hacker who, like, in a way, feels like you have your hand in every pot. Like, I don't know if you're the build-in-public guy or the no-code guy or the writing guy or the community guy. You're, like, all of these guys. All of them. And I want to say thank you. And uh, back to Channing's point about keeping my identity small, I actually identify <laughs> as none of them. I think I'm just the same guy awestruck about entrepreneurship as the game, the meta game itself, right? Mm. And I'm trying my best to go back to the shoes of like the day I met you both. And you guys don't even know, and I have to say this on air, I'm, I'm recording, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. my God, I was so starstruck. I was so <laughs> starstruck. And I was so happy to see your faces. And I was like, first of all, Cortland, like for anyone listening to this, uh, the background story, which I have to narrate from my vantage point, is that I was running these meetups um, Atlanta. And I think we ran like eight or nine in a series 
every month was a meetup and I finally negotiated my way to get a free venue at Atlanta Tech Village. And that became a one-year contract for, for us, for the venue. And I was the same kind of building doing a, as a Calendly, I think, right? Yeah, they have Calendly, they have Sales Loft and you know, a few others. So we were doing this and then I think out of the, I, I don't know where, maybe in Indie Hacker Slack or somewhere, I mentioned that I'm doing the meetup and you said, oh yeah, KP, I'm going to be in Atlanta. Maybe we can like align our dates to have the meetup where I'm there. So I'm like, no, 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 no. I will remove our calendar uh, <laughs> update. I will make it so that the meetup happens on the day you're here. And what I didn't know was that you were going to show up with your entourage, which is like, you, you showed up with Channing, you showed up with your mom. <laughs> yeah. So we're happy from, to we, we're from Atlanta, so happy so we go to hear that she was called our entourage. <laughs> Shout out uh, to... We grew up in Atlanta, so our mom is there. So we got that, was the, that was the part that I was like, what? And, you know, I think it was hot coming up of like a lot of press interviews of you guys and about the Stripe acquisition and everything. And I was like, all these outcomes sounded so awesome. But what really made an impact on me was that I could relate to you guys. And I thought that was so cool. You know, and, and I was like, man, I saw a little bit of me in you at the time. And so I owe it to you that it made me feel like, yeah, you know, I can maybe push myself a little bit, you know, put in the work and just keep at this. Because if these two guys have done it and they're so relatable and they're so humble, Maybe I could I could do this too, and so a lot of my Man. success I owe it to uh, influences like you. Wow, that's wild. I have to that's say great. that's sick that you were just starting out. Like I didn't know that until now. Yeah, but so that what... that happened at the t the tweet that you you were talking about. Like that was in the same time zone in the same uh, time period. You already like people like saw horse. that. It seemed like meetup. you were running shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. KP seems to have Atlanta locked down. He's like the yeah. guy here. It was a sick meetup spot. There was like a round table of all these successful founders, successful indie hackers. You were sitting there like with like the presentation. You're like, all right, first person, like go, next person, go. And now looking back on it, you're like, oh, no, I was just getting started, right? I was yeah. still had still my full time job. Yeah, that was crazy because I was trying to make it happen, you know, with whatever I could. I was also on a visa at the time. Now I have my green card. Shout out, thank God, immigration. You know, thank God, God bless America. Um, man, it was so many obstacles at the time that were like mentally in my head were almost like oh you can't be a founder like there are all these obstacles and all these limiting beliefs and so I was looking for any ray of hope I guess you know and when you guys showed up in Atlanta I was like with the entourage with mom I was like wow you know this is so <laughs> so this is why I thought of you as like a community organizer because of like the Andy Hackers meetups that you're running it's not easy to run a meetup and to like recruit members and to get the space and provide for food and make sure it's entertaining and everyone learns. So it's like, that's like a vocation in and of itself. I think simultaneously, you were like this no code guy. Like you were just like, we're getting really into no code. And then now, like in more recent years, I've seen you do a lot of build and public stuff. And so I guess I want to ask you, like if, if these are your babies, which one is your favorite baby? Like which one <laughs> wins out over all the rest? Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. Yeah. Or maybe which one has made you the most money as an indie hacker? Oh, which one has made me the most money? I think community organizer. It's massively underrated, that skill. Um, also, first of all, I didn't even know that was a skill. Like, to me, the skills were, like, very clearly defined, like, sales is a skill or, mm. you know, programming is a skill, right? Right. And so, shout out Drew Riley, who's also from Atlanta. You, you guys, you know, know him. Um, he would come to these Indie Hacker meetups in Atlanta, and he, he would stop me one time and said, Kippy, you, you realize you're a pretty good community builder? Like, you should look into this thing. And I was like, come on, man. Like, I'm just getting pizzas for us. I'm just like, you know, 
and he's like no 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 this like this kind of human router thing i've felt that all my life but i never really realized it's a skill that's valuable to others until i started doing indie hackers meetups and became intentional about tech and realized tech is one of those industries where you know there's a lot of introverts and there's a lot of like really influential people who don't by choice come out and hang out and do a lot of networking like the salesy greasy networking right um, i was going to ask you are you a are you an introvert are you i think an i'm an ambi- ambivert i think i'm okay. an ambivert yeah, but ambivert. i used to i grew up as an introvert so i can relate to same yeah same exact here i grew up thinking i was an introvert yeah. telling myself i'm an introvert and then like as i've gotten older i'm like oh, yeah they keep, they right keep me middle. out now now if i say an introvert they're like no you're not an introvert. <laughs> no you're not <laughs> yeah, they'll they'll kill me but but i can relate to them so i can understand how an introvert thinks i understand like this bullshit like salesy like you know, shaking hands and like trading business cards, bullshit that used to happen all around Atlanta. And I was like, yeah. there has to be a better way to do community. And my sort of canvas was indie hackers didn't have any consistent streak of Atlanta meetups. So I was like, okay, clearly there's an opening mm-hmm. here. I'll di- dive in. And the bar is actually much higher to convince and impress developers as mm-hmm. opposed to maybe an average Joe in tech. The developers are so prudent and they're so like, they're like picky as fuck. Yeah. You know, they're like, yeah, they're, they're like, what just am I like, going to get out of this? Why am I here? I'll put on my developer hat for a second because it'll kind of answer a question I'm curious about, which is developers often are like, they see things very functionally and they're like, yeah. what's the point? What's the purpose? What's the utility? And that's exactly. And like, that's the thing that uh, sort of has people have tension with when they don't want to just go and glad hand and go network for reasons where they're just like, what's the point of it? Um, so when you first started, trying to build these, build this community and get these meetups going, like, did you have a value proposition where you like, here's what you're going to get out of it? Or were you just like, Hey, let's all just like meet up. Yeah. What was no, your approach? No. Former, former. And, and I knew that I will get lashed out. I will get like kicked out of the meetup space if I was doing any of, the, any of this stuff. Cause I knew any hackers, I knew the persona, I knew the kind of people there. So I said, okay, what's the real utility? You know, what would make someone get in the car, drive up to this thing uh, and then really spend an hour? Mm. And my answer to that was, number one was actual accountability and vulnerability, which is missing. Because mm. a, a lot of developers, um, like, you know, they get roasted when they post something on Hacker News. They're like, just, people come at you, right? And so I was like, yeah. is there a more vulnerable but candid way to share feedback? That wasn't my number one, you know, thing. And I thought I could model this myself, where I would look at someone's, you know, landing page, and they would ask me sales copy feedback, and I'd be like, this sucks, but this can be better. Or this, look at Harry Dry's example or whatever. Number one. Number two was accountability in the sense of how do we build a very simple routine? So we would, I would publish three-step prompts that were kind of like mastermind questions. Right. Basically like a stand-up, what have you shipped since last week? Which is an infamous question now because Elon Musk also asked this to uh, Parag, right? What have you shipped since last week? <laughs> yeah. I think it's a pretty uh, strong prompt. If a bunch of indie hackers meet every Friday for 18 months, which we did, and just asked each other, what have you shipped what since you last do? week? I think all of them were going to be bangers and ballers. Dude, I got to do that. Com- that's why in a nutshell. That's what you do in Y Combinator. You that's go it? and you're in a room full of other smart people and they ask, what did you do last week? And you don't want to feel dumb. So like yeah, the whole you can't bullshit like, Yeah, you, you can't, can't bullshit. Yeah. It doesn't work. Dude, yeah. Cortland, I'm, I'm hitting you up with that like tomorrow. Like, what did you ship yesterday? <laughs> like, what the hell did you ship yesterday? Well, we had the the podcast. All right. Like, well, that was at, you know, that was at 4 p.m. Yeah. What, what did you, you do before you went to bed? <laughs> so we had that as sort of the main anchor. I didn't call it mastermind. It was just a prompt. 
And then I would say the third part was show, don't tell. So if you build something, you know, get on the stage, show. That's what I was trying to route people to Kotlin when you were there. I was trying to get as many people who were building cool shit to show you because I knew that they would feel the way that I felt about showing it to you, right? And so they all, like, after you left, you guys left, they were like, KP, this is the best meetup we had, you know, because it's one thing to say, yeah, yo, we had, like, you know, Indie Hackers founder here, but it's something else to say. He actually saw the shit that I was building, you know, and he he liked it or he he resonated with it, you know, so. It's fascinating to me that, um, in a way, like, to go back to your sort of hacker news comment, like, it can be scarier to put your work out on the internet than it is to share with people in person. When yeah. I was younger, I would have thought it was the exact opposite. Like, internet, nobody can see your face. You're anonymous if you want to be. Like, no, like, it's just random usernames. Like, let me just put my stuff out. But in person, it's like you're on a stage, you know? Like, that seems scary. But the reality is it's almost always the exact opposite. Like, a small room, 10, 20 people, you see them present. You know, there's a lot of empathy. There's a lot of connection. Hacker News or Twitter, it's cutthroat, right? People don't know you. They don't care about you. If you do anything slightly wrong, they're just going to cut you apart and then, you know, link to their own product. That's a competitor of yours or something. And it's a doggy dog world online. Well, there's also like the, the fact that you're in person when people are reviewing, like they feel more pressure to like, number one, give it the time of day, really think about what you're trying to do, et cetera, as opposed they're to giving attention. like off the cuff responses. <laughs> like there's a very famous, I don't know if it's famous, but uh, Peter Levels, posted on Hacker News and said like, hey, you know, I don't even know what product he was launching, but he like kind of posted about it. And it was like, you know, I make a lot of money. Here's my my this or that. And there was a negative comment that was just like, oh, great. Another guy who like talks a talk, but doesn't walk the walk. He's famous for talking about how you can become famous. And then Peter literally just commented in, a, in response to that person. He's like, well, actually, I've done like these five products, right? Like I really do walk the walk, et cetera. And the person, it was like the only time ever where someone on Hacker News has apologized. He was like, oh, I didn't really read anything. Um, now that I look and see, your stuff is pretty sick. Yeah. I am sorry. Right? And it's like, that would never have to happen if you know someone's sitting in a room with you. Right. The most, the most classic Hacker News comment is the one uh, on Dropbox's launch in yep. 2007, <laughs> where they launched Dropbox and the first comment was like, I have a few qualms with this app. Number one, it doesn't seem very viral or income generating. Number two, I could build this myself as a on Linux a weekend. user. Yeah, yeah in a week, I could build this in a weekend. And then it turned out like Dropbox made billions of dollars and was like one of the most viral apps of all time. But the hacker news trolls don't care. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost it like, like if you don't if you don't get roasted, it's almost like that's when you should worry on hacker news. Yeah, you're even a real founder if you didn't get roasted on hacker news. Right. So this yeah. I think rolls into something that you're super good at, KP. You're an expert on building in public. This is something that's near and dear to my heart as an indie hacker. Indie hackers is all about transparency. It's all yeah. about like not only talking about how much money you make from your projects, but also building them in public. Um, but I don't even have a definition for build in public. Like, what does it mean to build in public, and why would anybody do that? So I'm curious. You're the guy. Like, how would you how would you describe to listeners like why that's a thing that matters? I feel like there's as many definitions of this as there are indie hackers. So I'll just kind of say that you know make what you want to make out of it. But here's my sort of reflection on it. I think it's it's really the philosophy that I think is more important. You know, the philosophy of transparency and the philosophy of openness and putting yourself out there. So it's not just transparency for the transparency's sake. There has to be some skin in the game. There has to be some level of vulnerability when you're building in public. Otherwise, it's just, uh, you know, it's too fake. Like everybody on Instagram is not building in public. They're just social. They're just like have a lot of social media posts. 
the way I think about it is it's a combination of, you know, sharing your journey as it unfolds and sharing not just the highs, you know, the reels on Instagram, like just the, you know, top 1% situations, but things that really affect you, things that really were top of mind for you and documenting this journey, putting things out there mm. and, you know, co-creating with a group of audience who care. Now, how do you get people to care is like the same question that I had when how do I get people to come show up to the Indie Hackers Meetup is by giving value, right? Doing the things that they would feel compelled to come attend. So the same thing when people say, oh, I posted about the fact that I had a banana at 4 a.m. and nobody cared and nobody liked my building public tweets. I'm like, nobody gives a shit. Like the point is what's in it that's valuable to somebody else. If with Peter Level's example, like he constantly tweets about sort of the new things he's doing with AI, the photo AI and a few other mm -hmm. products. It's super compelling for someone developer who's like, how is this guy doing this in a PHP file? Right? How? Like, what are some uh, new plugins he's using? What are some new, you know, things he's touching on? So I think there has to be an element of utility, not just content for the sake of content. So that's how I would define it. What do you think is the difference between like building in public and just being transparent? Because I'm a fan of both. Sometimes yeah, I kind of I think, confuse them. I feel like there, there's a lot of overlap, uh, but I feel like transparency can oftentimes just mean numbers with no narrative. Hmm. And like, for example, if I just posted a bunch of my screenshots of, you know, retention charts or MRR or whatever, that's transparency, extreme transparency. And if I post like customer names and like, you know, where they're joining from, what locations, all of that stuff, plain text passwords, yeah, like all this stuff. I think that's all transparency, right? For the sake of it. <laughs> but I feel like building in public is kind of like as a founder, you know, using these numbers and screenshots or whatever pieces of your story and putting it out there and almost seeking connection and trying to like build with others in a way. I think the build part is important. And so I think that's the difference, you know, in my view. I mean, there's, there's so many social media accounts I see like on Instagram or TikTok or whatever. And they're like talking about, oh, here's the story of how McDonald's, um, whoever the guy created McDonald's, and mm -hmm. like there's all these like shit posts. I think his name is Ronald. Ronald, sorry. <laughs> um, someone's gonna roast me on this, and I deserve it. You know these Instagram accounts that they're like pseudonymous. Like there's like, yeah, seven thousand tweets uh, a day, and they're like anonymous, and they're talking about architecture around the world. I don't think they're building in public. You know, they're like right posting a lot. But that doesn't mean they're building in public. I took a bunch of notes on building in public uh, a couple years ago. And I was like, I should know more about this. And then I promptly never did anything with it. But I still have my notes. And I feel like you already naturally build in public, though. I think that's the way, the way you're building the podcast. Mm. You know, I, Not only the podcast. I remember when you did the new redesign of the website and you wanted new like up suggestions and like feedback on like the how you yeah. want yeah. to I'm like a I'm like a like a little league build in public guy. Yeah, you know? but that's like, it. That's exactly it. So you were asking feedback, if anyone remembers this, Cotlin or, or I don't know if both of you or one of you, you were asking feedback on indie hacker profiles, like how we want yeah. the profile page to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is kind of where I fall down on building in public because my natural tendency is to just like Build everything in secret. I don't even like launching stuff, KP. Like my like the way I launch most stuff is I build it and then I silently release it and I don't tell anybody. And then six months later, if it's like going okay, then I put it on Product Hunt or something and like look at this new thing that's not even new anymore because I just don't want to put it out there. I, I call this the launch ladder. I haven't published a post on this, but I want to like I've been made a bunch of tweets on this. But I feel like 
you know, building in public, if it feels like um, too daunting or it's just like not your personality, then I have this launch ladder thing where I, I'm saying like, okay, launch it to four of your besties, like launch it to, you know, your four best friends in a group chat, then go from there and launch it to um, your Telegraph channel or if you have a, a, you know, Slack channel, then launch it to a bigger group and then, of course, launch it to a product hunt, right? At every turn, make sure that you're seeking feedback and just seeing like what resonates and then iterating based on the feedback. We're in kind of an unfair position that's awesome where we have our own community that we can build in public too. Very similar to you having like your Atlanta meetup where it's like, this is a safe place to yeah. come post your stuff and these people already like you before you put it on Twitter or Hacker News or Reddit or Product Hunt or somewhere where like people don't know you or yeah. don't care about you. But I think when I look at like the world heavyweight like champions of building in public, like uh, Peter Levels is obviously one. Tony Den is really good. Sean oh, yeah. Curry is really good. Like there's just a lot of people who are great. Who who inspires you? Who do you think is like doing it the best? And what do you think makes them so good? Because when I see someone who's really good at building in public, like they're not just doing it for shits and giggles and not just doing it to feel good and authentic. They're also like crushing it with their products and making millions of dollars because they have such a huge engaged audience that they can launch to. Yeah. I mean, Danny Postma is, uh, comes to mind. He's crushing it along with um, Peter Levels. Peter Levels, I feel like, is one of my favorite examples because he's just, the guy is so relentless, you know, and I want to be like him. Like, he's <laughs> just made so much money and he won't quit, man. Come on. And he doesn't care about threads. His feet is not manicured. People, like, have taken this too far and then they've gotten into the thread boy category and then there's, like, <laughs> manicuring and, like, lawn care that's going on in people's streets. And the other day, somebody I reacted to, like, I was sharing one of my friends and it's like, hey, Dick, have you seen this thing? And he was like, no, 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 I don't retweet anybody's stuff anymore. I was like, why? And he goes, no, 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 I just want to keep it clean. I'm like, what? I don't want are to pollute you, my feed. <laughs> are you a gardener? Like, what's going on? Is this your, like, are you at a nail salon? Is, are these your uh, toenails? What's this? I think I've literally <laughs> heard of people referring to their feeds as like a garden. I, here's my thing. As the guy who went from 414 followers to 42,000, my comment is, if I don't get to tweet whatever the F I want to tweet in whatever yeah. the format I want to tweet, yeah, like what that. was the point of building an audience? The same thing mm -hmm. with some of these people who, some of these indie hacker friends that I have were like, you know, crushing it over seven, seven figure, um, you know, businesses, ARR. And I call them and they're like, no, no, I, I don't take calls. I, I just, you know, and I look at my calendar and they're, they're so busy. Yeah. And my thing is, is like, if you're working Wall Street hours as a founder, you're doing it wrong, mm -hmm. man. Like, you know, the point of being a founder is you're trading certainty and peace of mind and like just paycheck and W2, you know, mortgage piece to this autonomy to work from anywhere yeah, and yeah. to take off the day if you want to and pick up a phone call from Cortland if he calls you. Like, goddamn, I called Drew <laughs> Riley and he's in Brazil and he's like, hey, KB, let me know what's going on, right? That's what we want. There has to be some upside to being the, you know, taking on this uh, treacherous path. But anyway, back to, yeah, I think Peter Levels is, is so hungry and I love that he just doesn't care. You know, he even like the new ones, the photo AI and some of the new ones he's building, mm -hmm. It truly shows you that it's the same loop that everyone has to go through. There's no shortcuts to product validation. You may have yeah. some audience, but you still have to take the brunt of someone's harsh feedback. Like people still roast him on his feed. Mm -hmm. 
regardless of how much success he's he created had. his own little hacker news bubble in his own right exactly people just wrote everything he never he goes away so i love that about it. i think it keeps keeps us uh arvid calls another you know i don't know if arvid yeah. was on the pod arvid's yeah. awesome yeah yeah, yeah. Legend. He's, Legend. he's also so. grown his following a ton um yeah. and i think one of the things that i like i see from looking at like like peter I'm not sure if it's still pinned to the top of his his Twitter, uh, but it's kind of like you know, hey, I've released like 70, 80 something projects, yeah, and like you know, only four of them make any money. And the cool thing about building in public is nobody remembers the ones that failed, right? I remember he was writing a book. I have no idea how much money his book made. He never talks about it anymore. No one cares. He was making like a Slack clone. No one even remembers that. He was tweeting about it like it was going to be like the best thing ever. Now it's just gone, and everybody only remembers his hits. I was also looking at uh, Tony Denny. It's the same thing. He's like been building these AI chat products. And like he's had a few of them that just didn't go anywhere. He's got like eighty thousand followers, so it's not like having a bunch of followers means everything is an instant hit any more than it is for anybody else. But like his second or third try, he re- he made what's it called? Typing Mind, I think. It's right, like a new, it's user new one. Interface. Yeah, it's a new user interface for ChatGPT, and that one is just making money hand over fist. And it looks like everything like somebody touches turns to gold when you see them posting in public about that success. But they literally could have been posting like a month ago about all of their failures and people just forget. Yeah. I mean, I'm a practical walking case study of like, I said the same thing. Like if you go back to 2018 tweets, there were some tweets where I would say the, like it's the same message. And then I would repost it now and there'd be like a bunch of replies and a bunch of people like, you know, like liking, sharing and like, yeah, comment engagement. And I'm like, what? It's the same content, same piece of yeah. content. And what the, the difference I think is, you know, I've become a lot more relaxed at this game. Mm. I've built up a lot of social capital at this game. And so when you give a lot to a set of people for a long period of time, they're mm. just bound to reply. They're bound to, yep. you know, reciprocate. And so oftentimes in the beginning, we just think that it's the meritocracy of the ideas we have, or the insights we have. It doesn't matter, you know, just help people. They'll thank you in the long run, and you, they'll 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 want to be be around you. What you're doing is building in public, but I also think that there's some value in just pure transparency, pure like, hey, this is a purple cow, come look at it. But you just have to know the use case that you're uh, addressing. There is like you wanted to sort of market. You, you're not necessarily trying to have like deep connections. And I just speak from experience because I love seeing when people are really transparent about super weird extreme shit. <laughs> like I love purple cows. Like every single week, I feel like I find a purple cow. Like, but give us like, a uh, couple examples. That a couple really examples are. Have you ever heard of uh, Brian Johnson? He's the founder of Braintree. No. So <laughs> Brian Johnson is like one of the one of the wildest, weirdest people ever. He's number one. He's like you know multiple hundred million dollars. He sold Braintree. He's right. a f- founder of a bunch of different things. And what he's done with that money is, if you've heard of longevity, it's like there's new science where you're trying to like live forever. Brian Johnson is the number one like guinea pig of all of this science that's just coming oh, down the pike. He was so, he was on the news for a while for over a month ago or yes, something, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's on the, he was on the news like a lot of people interviewed him and you'll get little snippets, but he himself will post the most transparent things, which are, which is actually where the the most interesting stuff is. So for example, he has on YouTube, anyone can YouTube it. It's called My Anti-Aging Protocol Broke a World Record. And this thing has like 300,000 views. And it's wow. literally just a like two hour like video where he and his like main biologist, his main doctor, he has right. he spends he spends two million dollars or something a year 
like rejuvenating yeah. every single cell in his body. He wakes <laughs> up, he eats like exactly 1977 calories per day, all vegan. He like it's like and you and he takes I'm you reading the headline that says like, a 45 year old biotech CEO may have reduced his biological age by at least five years through a rigorous medical program that costs two million dollars a year. And it's just him staring blankly at the camera. And like a perfect caricature of like every dystopian sci-fi show that shows like Silicon Valley billionaires. billionaire, right? Yeah, yeah injecting exactly. like the stem cells with small children to their arms so they could live. But like it's like, hey, take my month. take my YouTube view, right? Like I'll, I'm the first person to watch that, right? And there are tons of other people. So I mean, look, and I don't like Brian Johnson. I don't know Brian Johnson, right? I don't feel like attached to him or familiar with him. But that's like pure transparency, right? I think it, there's something to it. Like I feel like humans are just innately so curious about the process. I feel like a lot of the time when you're living through the process of something and the journey of something, it sucks for you, but it's so much fun for others. So <laughs> like, like, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, you know, yeah. being a founder sucks shit for you. Like, God, you know, like it's so mundane, so boring. You have to do the same seven things over and over. Like debugging, let's say, for example, when you like published the code base, you're just going through stuff. It's so boring as hell for you and your peers. But for someone out there, this might be the Brian Johnson moment. Like they are looking for this shit. Like how do you, like what do you go to the, do you go to the, do you go to the start, do you go to the middle, like where do you start? And so there's, there's a lot of fascination we have as humans, you know, like the mm -hmm. gameplay thing, the whole Twitch gameplay as a right. genre is crazy. Mm -hmm. Like you can't right. in yeah. that. Who would have thought people want to watch people play video games? Right. But we're fascinated that, by these random things. That's sort of where like, you know, like sort of desire to build stuff in public comes out. Like, because I actually don't know what the heck I'm doing right now, guys? Like, I'm just trying to figure it out. Like, I have no clue where right. my career is right you're, now. You're in the explore phase. I'm in the explore phase, yeah. I was on explore, Dex explore. for two years, and yeah. I, okay, I saw the inside of uh, a rocket ship startup, and then I like, joined day one, and I was like, okay, maybe it's my time to take the plunge. I took the plunge in December 2022. I have no freaking clue what I'm doing. Everybody wants, like, to, you know, when you have an audience, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a thing that, oh, you must be around smart people, so you must be smart. And you must have smart answers. And I'm like, I, you know, I, <laughs> I don't have any answers. <laughs> you know, I like that, that's just a, it's a funny proposition, right? So as you figure things out, it, it just sucks because your ego is taking a daily beating. But I still force myself to still hit publish and still tweet about yeah. what I'm thinking that day because I will know that somebody out there is my Channing Allen. Somebody out there is like reading that shit and be like, yeah, man, this is awesome. <laughs> like, you know? Oh, yeah. So two yeah. two things. I think number one, um, do you enjoy being in the exploratory phase? Like, do you like it? I I like it more than the alternative, which is being in W two and like being uh, right it's a slave to somebody's mercy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because to the point we were discussing earlier, like if you can find a way to explore and you like exploring, and you can find a way to financially support yourself, continuing to explore, like that's an awesome life. Yeah. There's such a a pedestal about like what it must look like to be a successful entrepreneur. You'd have one company that's killing it. Yeah. Like my buddy Greg was tweeting the other day about how he moved to Silicon Valley and he started an agency. And then someone he really looked up to and respected was like, Greg, that's that's not ambitious. It's not what we do here. You need to go for the gold. And so he like had all these other more ambitious projects that like did okay, but he wasn't happy. And now what is he doing? He's back to running an agency. And then he just spun up two or three more agencies. And yeah, that's not like what we stereotypically hold on a pedestal, but like that's what makes him really happy. Yeah. And he gets to get paid money for doing it and design yeah. the exact lifestyle that he wants. So like if you like exploring, you should explore. I had I made a tweet recently about this and I was talking to some folks in the fellowship and they were like, 
in this pressure because they think that the other friends who went to Harvard and other ones who went to Stanford, they're all building this, you know, hyper growth startup. They're like, KP, I feel like I'm not living the life. I went to Harvard. I was like, here's the thing. Take all the energy you have in ambition and put that into joy. Because some of the greatest things the world has ever seen were built because purely somebody pursued their Mm -hmm. joy, you know, in art, programming, whatever, right? And so I don't know if, you know, if you guys feel this way or not, maybe I'm just, it's so hard to be ambitious and humble, you know, like it's so freaking hard because everybody wants so much out of you. Yeah. Right. Like everybody, by the way, Cortland, everybody, every time I go to the ATV, they're like, KP, what are you doing, man? Like, what are you crushing on Twitter, man? You're doing so great. What's your startup? What's it? Is it Calendly? What is it? And so I'm like, I'm doing a, uh, you know, fellowship. They're like, what? So it's, but that's what I'm trying to say. Like being like, okay and secure with whatever part of your life you are. And also I notice a lot of people um, chatting to your point. Like a lot of people wait until they get to the pretty parts of the career to start sharing in public, you Mm. know? And I think that's a disservice to the world because you're making it seem like Cortland woke up one day and he started Indie Hackers like that, right? Right. Or Channing or like, you know, so we all go through the process and the process is humbling including to Peter Levels, Arvid Call, whoever, second time, third time, fourth time founder. The process sucks as you're going through it, but you you, shall, you have to find the process that sucks less for you or feels like, you know, somehow weirdly fun for you. But make it transparent that people see this, that it's not a pretty MBA slide deck. You know, it's so emergent and changes every day and you have to react to it. I know on the... um on the topic of of not necessarily gardening and grooming your Twitter and being too serious about it, there is some strategy, right? Like you did something yeah. to grow from, <laughs> from 400 Twitter followers to over 40,000. Because I know a lot of people who tweet a lot and they try to put their heart into it and they don't get there. Um, what is your advice for somebody, especially like an indie hacker, who's like, okay, I'm out here. Um, maybe they're in a similar situation to you. They don't have one huge killer startup. They're trying lots of different things. They're exploring how can they... I guess, do a better job building in public and build some sort of an audience for themselves. Just use the Donald Trump 3 a.m. on the toilet tweet strategy. Right, there you go. <laughs> Work for him. That's what, I would, that's what I would recommend. I don't know. I'm not an expert. <laughs> I mean, the, a lot of these strategies are so obvious, uh, what, what, which are spend a lot of, lot of time studying other tweets that inspire you. The thing is, people think that you, all, you always have to write like the four thread boys that are winning today, right? My thing is, you have to study and learn the formats. You have to study and learn the presentation of a certain idea, but you could choose who you want to learn from. So in my early days, I remember I would like look at like Ryan Hoover's tweets. I would look at, you know, Greg's tweets. Some of the guys that I really liked and admired, you know, uh, Amanda's tweets and see like, okay, how are they framing the, you know, the opening line? How are they framing this stuff? And uh, I still do it now. Because partly also I'm lazy. I'm like, I don't want to start from scratch. I like look at what they're doing. I'm like, okay, this format seems to be working. So this what then, the tweet that you read out earlier in the beginning, um, Cortland, the me, then, me, now is a very yeah. popular format. You know that, right. right? Like it's Yeah, of course. And so I took the format, but the, the difference is you still get to be you. in the So the stage is Twitter and you get to be whoever you want to be on the stage. So if you see most of my tweets, 99% of the tweets are stuff that I would say to someone in real life. It's my personality, it's who I am, it's authentic. So I don't, so I think that's a, that's a big hack is that I used to sound like somebody else in the beginning. And I shifted that over to being very me 
I'm very reflective as a person, a journaler every day. So my journal brings out five tweets a day easily in the morning. Um, number two is the big tip that I had was I actually in 2020, I was at 2000 followers or something. I genuinely saw the power of being prolific where I think I was holding back, trying to like, you know, trying to like only put out the smart tweets or the good sounding ones. Mm-hmm. And then in 2020, July, something happened. And I think over the weekend, I had like a hundred new followers, which I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. And and from then on, I just thought, I'm just going to be prolific at this, like every day consistent and not holding back, having fun. I say this a lot to people, like the internet's kind of an open book test, yeah. right? You can like, you're allowed to cheat. You're allowed to go look at someone else who's succeeding and then like reverse engineer what's working for them. Yeah. So if you're trying to get big on Twitter, you don't just have to just figure it out from scratch. Go find someone else who's good at Twitter and scroll down their Twitter timeline, which if it's not too well manicured and gardened, <laughs> you'll like you'll find some good stuff. A good example is that tweet you said that, you know, it's a format, right? You say a year and then a colon, and then you type what you did in that year, and then you say like this year and then a colon. John Young had a good a good play on this tweet today too that I saw. He said, 2018, quit job, take a risk, try to build a tech business. 2022, built tech business into something sustainable. 2023, AI makes all tech work obsolete. <laughs> there we go, right? But that's like, it's literally such a common format that like people can parody it. Yeah, the, it's, it's, there's so many meme formats too, right? Um, so I, I think your formats are so important in, in when it comes to Twitter. And Twitter is also, um, my, my other strategy or my other tip is, um, you know, follow the right kind of people. Don't follow a lot of people. Um, you know, but also don't have zero followers. That's, I think, a little too snobby, but like follow the right kind of people who are three, four steps ahead of you or 10 steps ahead of you and you want to sort of learn from them what their thoughts are, what their ideas are, you know, so that helps you with the curation. I'm actually interested in talking about like the technology side. Cortland just mentioned AI and one of your other personalities, right, is is like the no-code space and I don't know, maybe soon to be the AI space. Yeah. Um, all my local friends have jumped the wagon. They're already AI. <laughs> They're already, yeah, 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 it's kind yeah. of non-indistinguishable at this point. Yeah, I have a kind of an interesting relationship with no code. I mean, first off, I'm I know how to develop. I know how to to build apps, and I really like coding, and I'm fairly fast. So I feel like I'm not really the market for no code. I mean, I can build a website probably in whatever half an hour, have it online. But I also had this interesting experience with I was teaching my girlfriend how to code two years ago. She was looking for a job. And I was like, oh, I kind of had this opportunity where I can teach her the sort of traditional HTML, CSS, JavaScript stuff. And then I can also like let her play around with like Bubble, let her play around with um, some of these other no-code tools. And it was interesting because on the one hand, I saw her get stuff out the door with no-code tools in like a week. But then she was sort of frustrated. She kind of hit a plateau. And slowly she was chugging along with the actual code and yeah. it took like a month before she could do anything. Like she was you know, completely fish out of water. She was really frustrated. She cried a couple of times. I'm not going to tell her about this podcast. I don't want her to yell at me, but like, <laughs> but then once that like flame got sparked, there was like this takeoff where she yeah. sort of had this linear progression that quickly kind of had plateaued with, with no code. So I wonder if like how to think about that. Yeah. I mean, thing that comes to mind with code versus no code is like, you know, Ikea furniture versus um, building tables and like real carpentry, right? For a certain kind of persona and a certain kind of, you know, founder, especially maybe a non-technical founder, domain expert, someone who's in climate tech, and Mm. they just have this particular marketplace they want to manifest. But 
you know, they're just like so impatient. They want to show the prototype and show like how it looks and stuff. Mm. I think for that person, you know, no code is the right move, right? Get get a Adalo or Bubble marketplace uh, template quickly and or softer, you know, quickly and then tie it to Airtable data and then just like show how it looks and maybe even, you know, grow it to a decent extent, you know? Um, right. You can connect Stripe payments and stuff. So um, I think to me, like no code has always been like a great way, like, you know, like assembling IKEA furniture, right? Like it's, it's, right. it's, you're not a carpenter just because you followed instructions and assembled a, you know, a desk, but true development and true building, true code uh, and true programming, I think are lifelong skills, you know, and it's a craft and you guys know this, right. you know, more than me, it's a craft. And so you can never confidently say, oh, yeah, I've reached the horizon of code. No. You know, you're always learning and AI shows up and you have to relearn now. So you're always learning. And I think a lot of what code teaches you is to think systematically, methodically, yeah. and to interface with the computer, basically, uh, you know, like understand how to write syntax. And so I think that's a skill that's valuable for life. But for a lot of people, because it's so daunting, because it's a, a bit, you know, it's a bit slow to learn and sort of pick up as a skill. Mm -hmm. It's like, also, intellectually, I think it's a little, it's hard. Code it's is very hard. hard. Yeah, It's very hard, as you know, like intellectually. Um, so vast majority of the people may not, may, may self-select themselves out of this game completely. Right. And I think that's yeah. the missed opportunity as a human race. The other analogy that comes to mind is uh, I grew up in India and I didn't see any, um, you know, like female grandmas or aunts, my aunts driving a car, you know? And mm. one thing I noticed when I moved to the US when I was 21, I was like, a lot of grandmas driving cars. I was like, what? How? <laughs> yeah. You know, and I realized the biggest difference is the majority of the cars in the US are automatic transmission, you know, mm. which is a mm. pain in the ass to have a stick to, to drive a stick when you're 85, yep. you know? Yeah. Uh, so that to me is no code in a way. So if, if no code is the automatic transmission, then I suppose AI is the self-driving car. Yeah. Code. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's code. pretty good. Yeah. I remember no code, like, being all the rage a couple years ago, who did I have on? I think I had Ben Tossel, who started MakerPad, and he was doing like a no-code debate versus Sahil Lavengia. I think I did two or three different no-code episodes in Indie Hackers. People were like getting sick of it, but also couldn't get enough of it, and everyone wanted to talk about like, <laughs> is this going to replace people's jobs? And now it seems like no one talks about that anymore. Like all those companies, the no-code tool companies are still out there. Like Zappy are still doing well, but like everything every day is just about chat GPT, GPT-4, Dolly, AI, just AI, AI, AI. Even no code is just like AI, and it's not just putting coders out of a job or threatening to, but it's like threatening to put artists and writers and interior designers and just about everyone else out of a job, or at least like force them to like change their jobs drastically. So, what are your thoughts? Do you think AI is just like eating up all the other no code tools? I mean, it's like I saw a video of a guy who drew a picture of a website on a napkin and took a photo of it <laughs> and then put it in ChatGPT, and it generated like all the HTML and CSS for like that website. And he literally had like a part of like, oh, put a funny joke here and then put a button here. And then here's where the joke will be revealed after you click the button. And it's the crazy. AI just did it, right? And it's like, I, is, there any, is there any better no-code tool than that? I, <laughs> right? I mean, I think the AI is kind of forming the superset over, you know, no-code tools and low-code tools. So it'll be interesting to see if the no-code tools will sort of align with that superset use case that the AI is kind of creating. Like, for example, Coda is doing a Coda AI, you know, Notion has done the Notion mm. AI, right? So the immediate obvious mode that they're doing is embedding the AI features into their core skill sets. 
mm-hmm. and i think that's one way to kind of like be ai friendly but if you're if you're not already thinking about your ai strategy as an oco tool you're not going to last this revolution this is a huge sweeping revolution that's coming coming out and yeah i mean i i think to your the analogy around like self driving cars um people would probably still want some level of control in the you know product so let's say if i built a webflow website you know i didn't write code but like ai did it for me like shows me the landing page maybe i still want to you know mess around with the little animation at the bottom or some level of css control so maybe there's still yeah. value to learn a little bit of no code tools like webflow but i think code will be the last resort unfortunately so we will which is which which sometimes worries me because thinking intellectually deeply and critical thinking will be the last resort for human yeah. for humanity which is crazy kind of like, like before writing right like people memorized everything a bunch of things are just like taught through song because it's easy to memorize songs and poetry and then suddenly like everyone's literate and like everybody has the memory of a goldfish because we just don't need to actually do it and it's the same now where it's like if a computer could just do everything for me yeah. why should i learn any skills and i have a two-year-old at home and i'm like always curious to see when he's like 25 26 like what the world will look like then or when totally he goes to different. college like what is he gonna like what is there to teach him right like everything is ai like you know how to rate ai learning. prompts how to write right. really good ai prompts <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna take the opposite side of this though because i understand this fear you know hey listen this all of this work that we currently do requires us to do a lot of intellectualizing and a lot of thinking and a lot of effortful work on um, is going to get replaced by AI. I mean, to Cortland's point, people said the same thing when the printing press came out, right? People said the same thing when when like books were widely distributed. People said the same thing when computers were kind of coming into favor. Um, and what always happens is it's almost like we have the same amount, the same like, you know, whatever, seven hours of like real rigorous thinking that any individual person can do in a day. And it's like, well, what are you spending that seven hours doing? And I think over time, the ideal as technology advances is that we spend our intellectual hours doing less and less menial work. And it's like, right now, I do a lot of code, but a lot of the code that I do is like setting myself up to do real work, right? I'm like spending time downloading a lot of packages, setting up the the project. Whereas like, I really just want to spend my, my creativity and my judgment time thinking about what I want to do. And then it's like making little edge case changes. I'm like, see, right. like, how does it look in this format? And how does it look in that, in that format? And if we had like, I don't know, GPT-5 comes out, you know, and like none of us are sitting here doing almost any of the normal jobs that we're doing on the computer. You still have eight hours of like yeah. highly leveraged, creative and like expressive work that you can do. So I'm I'm yeah. really optimistic. Like I, I don't think that there's any like real fear that like you're, you know, you're like, what is the creative work you're going to do? Like for any hackers right now, I'm making this profile thing. So any hackers can have really awesome profile pages because any hackers have better things to do than build their own profile pages. And so we're going to give them a profile page builder where they can show off all their any hackers work. But if in like six months from now, they can just go to an AI thing and say, hey, here's my projects, build me an amazing profile page. Then suddenly all of this work I've done for the last month to create a profile page builder (laughs) is shitty. It doesn't make any difference, right? And but so, like, I feel I like, do- you know, the beauty with just as humans is that we will figure out a way to find problems to solve. And I think Definitely. what those problems that we will solve is probably not apparent to us right now, but will be very apparent to us in, you know, whatever, eight months or nine months, whenever, you know, those situations happen, right? We will always have something like, you know, when, like you said, the printing press thing, if everybody's literate, 
then like what's the use of you know we could have argued the same thing like but every mm-hmm. time we had a new revol- new technology revolution people found new avenues and new areas to work on right exactly. like the fact that i'm sitting here you know using my thumbs to tweet ideas and you know like the things i'm saying like vulnerability and like you know putting yourself out there would would spook the heck out of my ancestors yeah. right they'd be like what the heck is that work like we were like yeah. toiling our asses off in these oil fields and shit like you're like you know does that work like come on man yeah so that's my biggest concern as of right now like how do i get customers on a stripe notification which is so easy like mm-hmm. it's if you think about it it's actually damn easy to get someone to buy something right now on the internet for you if you have some decent mm. service 50 years ago it was impossible yeah exactly. so 50 years from now i think we would have something like that that would make it easier and like i don't even think that we need to think 50 years in advance there yeah. was uh mark mark andreessen was describing web 3.0 when everyone was talking about web 3.0 and it was kind of new and it was hard to understand he's like look here's how you think about it there is like three different phases web 1.0 was this idea where you know individual people had websites and like there weren't all that many websites and everyone wasn't able to have like their space in the internet because you kind of had to code or learn how to code and like not that many people could do that then web 2.0 comes along now you have these big platforms facebook and twitter kind of allow you to have your own space on the internet but like you know you're kind of renting out the territory that is owned by facebook etc so that it's got a, it's got an upside got a downside web 3.0 in theory was going to be a place where like all of these non-technical people were suddenly going to be able to like have their own space that they kind of owned so mm. far it hasn't really turned out to be that way but it's like to courtland to your question it's like well what kinds of things are going to are people going to build like i bet if everyone felt that they were technically capable of just like creating their own place in the internet and like they could use their creativity to make it like have the bells and whistles that reflected their like you know personalities and their likes and their tastes a lot more people would get into it but even no code in its current incarnation is kind of intimidating like i watched my girlfriend like you know her eyes crossed trying to figure that stuff out um so i mean that that's just one idea everybody wants to get along everybody wants to get ahead that's just human nature isn't it naval or someone who was saying like the more the more technologically advanced we we become as a civilization the meaning of work shifts from it went from already menial labor like menial work that you you talked about mm-hmm. to knowledge work like all of us yeah. are doing knowledge work right now in yeah. many of us i mean there's still people who are you know but and now it will shift from knowledge work to creative work alone right and even with creative work to your point like ai can only do so much creativity because the definition of creativity will shift it would no longer just right. be enough to have a painting it has to have some piece of you that's like authentic and ai can copy that Naval speaks about this but cognitive neuroscientists talk about it a lot as well um and a lot of computer scientists speak about it like the big differences between what computers do well and like what human brains do well largely comes down to like humans are really good at creativity and judgment yeah judgment and yep. judgment here is like you know it's almost like improvising right like what is a computer not necessarily Dude, ai doing? is good at judgment if you ask ai any judgment questions you can go on there no 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 like, it, I, it's good i tweet this or but like even ideas is better but but the judgment of i think what channing's reference is different though i think judgment's not like decisive judgment it's like what will what will kp's next project be that's judgment like i'm deciding right. based on the factors yeah. of what i want to do and humans have intuition that's the thing like it's hard to fake or copy because humans do weird shit like the brian johnson thing or like it's just impossible <laughs> yeah. to get ai right. to predict what he might do next you know so right I'm slightly more I'm slightly more bullish on AI than both of you. I think that AI is 
and it's early, like the like the useful large language models we're seeing are in their infancy and are already shocking what they can do. And another year or two from now, it's going to be insane what they can do. But I'm also on the same page as the two of you, which is that that doesn't mean it's doom and gloom. It just yeah. means that like our job as founders is to figure out like how do we use these new tools because there's still going to be problems. There's still going to be creative things and challenges for people to do that need to be solved. They just might look very different yeah. than we have now. And so as an indie hacker, it's very, very rare that this happens. That a new technology comes out that's so revolutionary that you actually should stop and think about how to implement it. When was the last the time? The I'm curious. When was the last time you guys had to go through something like this? Or I mean, like it? I haven't even thought about that. Like, like in our lifetime, like mobile, maybe. But like besides that, like I. Like when you say mobile, do you mean like the 2007 iPhone moment? Yeah, exactly. The iPhone moment, like, oh shit, I can't just make web apps. I have to think about mobile. But even then, it took like a long time before it was like I had to do mobile first. And I still don't do mobile first a lot of the time, and it's fine. The web right. itself is like a really good one. Like a lot of like newspaper companies, for example, who did not adapt to the web, like are toast. Like they do not have, like, or you look at the New York Times, who makes hundreds of millions of dollars from subscribers, like they adopted to the web. It was a new technology that just solved people's problems better. I think the normal advice is like, don't focus on technology, don't have a solution in search of a problem. But when there's like a paradigm shift, you have to actually re-examine all those problems and be like, can I make a radically better solution? The way that we've actually dealt with changing technology at Indie Hackers is, look, crypto happened, like, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of Web3 ideas came out, um, NFTs were a thing, like, we thought about NFTs. We thought about like an indie hacker coin, right? Like we, we've looked at all these different changes in technology and, and we've seen them as like opportunities. Like, hey, can we do anything with this? The right. difference now is that it's not so much of a can. It's like, shit, like we need to figure out what's going on here. And like, it's the, it's the adaptation question, right? It's yeah. not like an opportunity. It's like a requirement. Yeah, it's a it's necessity, yeah. And a lot of it is prediction. Like with the crypto stuff, it was like, oh, this is getting big. The world in the future might be this different world. So maybe we should do crypto stuff so that when that world arrives, like we're good. And then we just looked at it and we're like, ah, I don't know if that world's going to actually arrive. So we did zero things with crypto. Whereas with AI, it's like, hey, this is already here. There's already <laughs> cool shit that you yeah. can do yeah. right now that's amazing and be useful, right? You could have an AI like help people write a post on any hackers or edit their post or come up with business ideas. Like, like you could do that months ago. And so it's not even a predictive thing now. It's, there's no right. question about whether it'd be useful. Anyway, KP, we've kept you for way too long. Um, thanks a ton for coming on here and talking about no code and building in public and being a founder and AI <laughs> theories and weird longevity stuff. Um, you've been an indie hacker for several years. You have, I guess, hit these milestones then felt that, hey, it's a little strange to hit these milestones that you once dreamed about. A lot of people listening, I think, want to be where you are. Um, what would you say to them? You know, what should they learn from the fact that you got there? And it wasn't necessarily what you expected. I'd say it's definitely way more possible now to be an indie hacker and design life that you want. So you don't have to, you know, be, like I said it earlier, like you don't have to be at the mercy of someone's strategy shifting. You know, that's like one of the craziest things about being in a job or tied to a W2 is that like we saw with meta layoffs, right? Meta announced that layoffs last, um, I think, I don't know, six months ago, saying, this is the final layoffs, this is it, this is it, the strategy is this, blah, blah, blah. And then Zuckerberg had a new change of mind and strategy shifted again, and then 10,000 people were laid off. And I think I can't even imagine what it feels like to be in one of those 10,000 because the last six months must have already felt like hell. Um, so, I mean, what I would say is just figure out a way to carve out 30 minutes a day, 40 minutes a day, 
you know, an hour a week here and there if you're at a full-time job like what I did in 2018 and get out of the conveyor belt, you know, build your own little uh, venture. And like, you know, Danny Vasalo talks about small bets, like try a bunch of shit. We are in the hits business. As indie hackers, nobody remembers your failures. This is all about hits. If you just have one or two good hits, you're good, you know? So give yourself the permission to try a lot, fail a lot. Nobody remembers the, you know, the early phases of your career. So don't worry about it. And once you get to the point where you're a full-time founder, like I was, maybe then think about getting business cards, <laughs> but no, <laughs> just remember that it's an infinite game. Yeah. Thanks, KP, so much for coming on. Can you tell people uh, where they can go to find you and your 40,000 followers on Twitter and uh, wherever else you might want to direct listeners? You can follow me on Twitter at thisiskp underscore. My website's thisiskp.com. But uh, the building public stuff is all at buildingpublic.xyz. And that's your, your podcast as well. It's called Building Yeah, public. that's where the podcast is, the fellowship is, newsletters, everything. Check out KP's podcast. It's good. <laughs>